I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Triculture Podcast. I am your host, Sean Ferrick, and I am very excited to be joined by double Hugo Award winning and Emmy winning artist, one of the co-founders of the Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Artists, and the man most directly responsible for some of the most recognisable ships in Star Trek history. Mr. Rick Sternbach, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for uh, for having me. This, uh, this should be fun. Oh, it's 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 completely it's my honor, and I'm so excited to just mine your mind for just like you you like legitimately right. I'm going to sound like a fanboy for a second, but obviously we're going to go into Voyager. Love Voyager. The Galar class ship is my favorite of the non-Federation starships. Okay, all right, cool. Oh, and listen, one thing uh, that that I should mention is uh, I'm also one of the founders of the. Uh, International Association of Astronomical Artists. Now, that is amazing. Where we get into, you know, a lot of the real science. Yes, actually. So that kind of, that brings me to my my first question very nicely. Like I've seen, because you were, you were very kind. You shared some links with me uh, to your decal work for your artwork. And am I right saying that you like, literally have des- designed a lot of the uh, artwork around like the Saturn V programs and like we're talking real spaceships here. Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the, uh, as uh, as a kid, you know, I, I grew up in the 50s when there was nothing in orbit, right? Nothing. OK, um, grew up watching, uh, you know, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, uh, you know, the the, the Russian uh, Vostok and Soyuz. And and, uh, you know, I I decided, you know, I had to go see a launch. Um, And, uh, you know, after I graduated high school, I told my parents, look, I'm going to the Cape. I need to see Apollo 11 take off. You know, so that was my first real launch. Okay, and it didn't get very close. I mean, we were like 10 miles away. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, the 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 whole development of the of the space program. okay, and, you know, particularly Apollo. Um, yeah, I got, you know, I got into to building the plastic models and, uh, uh, eventually, um, you know, hooked up with a lot of, uh, um, uh, uh, space fans, um, you know, who were very knowledgeable about the different programs. Okay. And, you know, I love doing graphics. So I ended up doing a lot of historical spacecraft decals and there's you know there's a whole uh space modeling community out there and you know we just love this stuff one of the most frequently uh built models that i tend to see uh, uh, is that saturn 5 um you know the, the you know the the famous one i i i guess and but I, I just want to appreciate for a second you watched apollo 11 go up what i mean that's cool it, it, it was cool. Um, yeah, you know, we we didn't really hear any of the sound uh, sure. from that distance. Okay, maybe a little bit of a rumble uh, very much later. Uh, 
Uh, I couldn't make Apollo 12, but I got a press pass to see Apollo 13. I got to see it from the press site, three and a half miles away from the launch pad. And, you know, if you remember the movie Apollo 13, they yeah. talked about, well, you know, the public isn't really interested anymore. And, and, and maybe that's why I got the press pass. Went down to the Cape um, on a Thursday, took the bus tour on Friday, went back for the launch on Saturday, went home on Sunday and Monday, boom, the service module blue. And I didn't get to sleep until Friday, the next Friday, because I was up watching with everybody else on the TV news. Are these guys going to make it back? You know, um, and 13, you know, it was it was amazing to see the Saturn V so close up. And I was watching with binoculars um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the fire and the, the smoke from the, the kerosene fuel. Uh, and this thing, uh, this thing took off. And after a, a few moments, we heard the sound. And these waves of warm air started coming over us. And I looked down and my pants were flapping. <laughs> and... And I almost forgot to look back up in the sky, <laughs> you know, because it's like, wait, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect the warm air from the, the you know, the, the five F1 engines to, uh, you know, to, to move around so much. Uh, but it was an amazing launch to see. That sounds like right. And like, I, I would be the same. I would think from that distance back, surely it would have dissipated. It wouldn't have come as far. So I would be right there with you just being like, oh, my God, when that feeling hits you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, obviously, there's been this lifelong um, passion for, you know, particularly space art, arts and tr space. I had one question because I was I was going back through um, your basically what you studied in, where does marine biology come into the story? Because I saw that you were you were doing your art major, which makes perfect sense. And then as one naturally does marine biology. Yeah, it was a side it was a side, you know, interest of mine. Um, and I was at the University of Connecticut, uh, you know, and after two years as an art major, I, you know, for some reason, I, uh, yeah, well, I've always loved uh, you know, science and biology and, and, and all of that. Um, and for some reason, I really got interested in uh, cetaceans. OK, um, and that has followed me all the way up through cetacean ops. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I studied, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, I looked up different species of, of uh, dolphins and uh, uh, baleen whales and, and all of that. OK. And, uh, um, you know, talked to my uh, my my advisor at uh, at uh, university and he said, look, uh, it's going to take you another three years to get through this. OK. And I thought, OK. All right, I'm I'm still a student. Why not at least try it? Uh, so I took uh, you know things like uh, inorganic chemistry, organic chemistry, invertebrate zoology, um, uh, you know all of the the science things that would get me into the biology part. And then it it all kind of uh, kind of kind of shifted back to art because I was able to sell my space and science fiction art in the New York market and, and to some of the astronomy magazines. So I said, okay, you know, I don't regret the science courses. Okay. Made me smarter. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so it, it was, it was all of the sciences, um, you know, as I was getting into the art game. Okay. Um, you know, meeting up with uh, engineers and scientists of, of different types of uh, science fiction writers, editors. And the early 70s for me uh, was, uh, you know, this this amazing explosion of, of, you know, things that I could think about, things that I could do. And it went from there. 
so so I know you went and you were you were working with Disney. Uh, well, I think that was pre Star Trek. Is that, so you came on with Star Trek the motion picture, which yeah. it's itself is you know if you were to pick one thing to come on to Trek with, ah, sure, the first movie is a pretty good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, what happened, the, the, the whole sequence of events, uh, you know, to me, it's sort of this big DNA thread that runs through history uh, mm. for me. When I was living in Connecticut and I was doing the work for these publishers in New York, okay, uh, I happened to notice a little snip in the, in the local paper, Gene Reinberry is coming to Yale University to screen the cage. Oh, yeah. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't going to Yale, but I saw this little snip in the paper. And what did I do? I cold called Paramount and I I introduced myself, uh, you know, very politely. And I I said, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a science fiction and and science illustrator. And I understand Gene's coming to town. Would it be possible to maybe meet with him for a couple of minutes after the screening? And they said, yes. So I met him at Yale University and uh, we talked for at least an hour. Okay. And this was 1974. Okay. So, so yeah. Okay. So this is quite early on. This is just after the animated series. I guess. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Gene had, you know, wonderful ideas for uh, a second TV series, second live action show. Okay. Or maybe a motion picture. Okay. But that wouldn't happen for another four years. And in the meantime, okay, I did more work for the New York market um, and uh, was at the World SF Convention in Kansas City in 1976. And I saw Ralph McQuarrie's artwork for Star Wars on display. Mark Hamill was there. uh, Gary Kurtz was there. Charlie Lippincott, the publicist, was there. And... I'm look, but I'm looking at at Ralph's artwork around the walls, and I said, I wonder if I could do this, and that that really pushed me to to explore moving out to California from Connecticut. Um, and I took a couple of weeks in 1977 uh, to to uh, uh, go around to a few of the studios. Mm. Um, Disney, MGM, Paramount. Well, Paramount, I got to meet with the folks who were getting phase two together. Of course. Yes, of course. Joe Jennings was the production designer. Um, I got to meet uh, John John Cartwright, who was the lead set designer. Mike Miner, who I miss terribly. Uh, Mike was a wonderful illustrator. You know, Mike knew science fiction. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I got to meet with them, leave some samples. And uh, Joe is a very straight shooter. You know, he, he was very honest. He said, I don't have anything for you. OK, but he held on to my stuff. All right. Uh, Disney was the only place that that, you know, offered me some work. And that was the black hole. Yes. OK. Yeah. And after after a few months, they let us all go to go back and work on the script. Oh. <laughs> it's like teasing uh, you with a job. It's like we have one, we have one, we have one. Actually, we don't have one for you just now. What? Well, yeah, but but uh, you know, the black hole was an interesting, you know, a, a, an interesting few months of learning how the the, the studio worked. Mm. Okay, um, you know, and and working with um, uh, uh, production designer and some other illustrators and. Uh, um, talking with the the guys in the uh, uh, set design department, where they were all you know they were doing blueprints of the sets, and you know that that was a real learning experience. Even though it was cut short, when Disney wanted to go back and work on the script, but one of the wonderful experiences I had while at Disney, um, I got to meet up with uh, Harrison Ellenshaw and. Uh, you know, son Peter Shaw, uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, involved with Disney films for like forever. OK. And I got to see the glass matte paintings for Star Wars that were being stored at the studio. And these these very, you know, these fragile glass panes that were that were bordered in, in you know, wood frames. And they were, you know, moved them out 
to look at them. And it was it was just amazing to see the the work that went into these these map paintings and how they were able to composite those with the live action film. And, you know, so late 70s, this was a real learning experience for me. You know, I, I can paint, I can do illustrations, but the film side of things, you know, that's what I needed to, to, to study. Well, fast forward into early 78 and, uh, uh, you know, I'm 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 doing some illustrations and mailing them back to New York, you know, for mm. book covers and things, book and magazine work. And I get a phone call and it's Joe Jennings from Paramount. And Joe said, they're announcing the feature in the morning. Do you want to come in? Very and much. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So I thanked him profusely. OK. And then I get a call from Bob Abel, okay? And, you know, Abel's, uh, you know, group, they were doing some things in preparation for the motion picture. And (laughs) Abel offered me work. And I had to tell him, Bob, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just accepted with with Paramount's art department. And he never spoke to me again. Oh, no. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's one of those those hard situations where things are going to start up. And, uh, you know, I I I went with with Joe and and Paramount and, uh, you know, never looked back. That And I mean, just even just to comment on that for a moment, like I think obviously time has completely shown you absolutely made the right decision. Of course, it doesn't make the decision in the moment any any easier, I would imagine, because from, if we go to 1978, sure, Star Trek had been a moderately successful show, and then we had the animated series. I suppose there was no guarantee it was going to become what it's become since. Um, so just well done on sticking to your guns on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the uh, the the day that um uh the day that they had the press conference uh on stage uh, with uh, one of Mike Miner's big illustrations of the Enterprise, you know, and the earth behind it and the sun peeking out, a wonderful wonderful uh, uh press announcement. Um and uh you know, I I sort of kind of moved into the art department upstairs that that same day. Uh, Mike Miner and I, and I, I've told the story a couple of times, M- Mike and I went upstairs to the art department, um, which uh, hadn't been used um, for a little while, uh, but we moved in and we found some boxes of artwork from Planet of Titans. Ralph McQuarrie marker sketches and uh, models, you know, rough, rough preliminary models of the Enterprise. And the thing that that I think eventually turned into the Excelsior. And we found these models and there was a uh, there was a painting that McCory did of the uh, Enterprise going into an asteroid base. I, do you know what? I know the exact one. I think, I think. And I yeah. held it in my hands. I held this in my hands. I could have taken it home. Oh. <laughs> but it was a wonderful piece. And uh, eventually Ralph did get his artwork back mm. before he passed. Uh, but Mike and I are looking at these models and 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 uh, um, charcoal sketches by Ken Adam, okay, beautiful, you know, broad swaths of of, of uh, black and white, and uh, you know, just wonderful images that could have been made into a film. Well, I think this was a, like a Friday afternoon, Monday morning. Um, we come back into work. All that stuff is gone. <laughs> you know, s- s- over the weekend, you know, the 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 uh, you know the powers that be probably came through and and retrieved all of that. Um, 
But I'm, I'm glad they did because, you know, it was kept safe. Mm. And we finally did get to see it, you know, out in public. That is because it, it, I think, yeah, I suppose most of the people who will be listening to this will know the exact image you're talking about. It's that, that uh, I suppose the design that certainly went into the inspiration for the current iteration of the USS Discovery, that circular. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is. And oh, we were we were this close, I think, to getting a model of that ship where, with Eagle Moss um, and uh, the, the recent collection. But never say never, because we don't know what's coming in the future. But to see that in real life, um, do, do, yeah. do you know what? If you'd taken it home, I know it would have been kept safe in your house as well. Probably, probably still hanging over the mantelpiece. Uh, hey, I, I would have given it back to Ralph. OK, you know, I, w- I would have taken a picture of it and I would have I would have handed it back to him. But it was uh, it was wonderful to see these 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 early uh, efforts at making a feature film. Um, and then, you know, we moved into that art department, lots of big drafting tables. And uh, um, Joe Jennings was there for a while before um, uh, he left to do uh uh, Shogun, the series. Oh, okay. And Harold Michelson um, took over as production designer. And working with Harold was a joy. He was a wonderful teacher. Um, uh, it's it just that that entire crew um, of us working on this film. Um, it was like we were in. We were reinventing Trek. And and this, that was the first time. TNG for me was the second time. <laughs> exactly. I just I just have this image in my head where you're you know you're working on TNG and you get to say oh it's a bit like last time because you know there's going to be some person there who's just like how many times have you done this? Um, <laughs> which well, I, is, which I, was, I I was astoundingly lucky to have been brought into the motion picture. Hmm. Um, and that's that's one thing just that I think is wonderful as well because you know so often you hear stories of someone being told we'll call you you know and of course the call never comes and here's an example of no no the call came and thank you Joe Jennings for keeping your word you know yeah yeah uh, and, and behind the scenes um, you, you know I think there were some some angels looking over down on me. Um, uh, Frederick C. Durant, he was an astronautics curator at the National Air and Space Museum back in Washington. Uh, He and Gene Roddenberry had some correspondence back in the 70s where Fred recommended me to Gene. And I did not know about this letter until, um, you know, uh, you know, some some folks had gone through um, some of the um, uh, some of the the uh, records back in in DC um, and you know you, some things you know are happening and other things you find out later yeah. people had my back it, it is it's so heartening to hear that because I suppose you could say this of any industry, but certainly you hear it from the motion picture industry, particularly that that maybe is not always the case, that maybe there isn't uh, as much of, or maybe it's a stereotype. I hope it is a stereotype that maybe it isn't always the case that people have other people's backs and people support people. But this is a wonderful example of clearly that is the case there. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From your work on the motion picture, I know obviously there was there was work between the motion picture and the next generation as well. But that connection, that relationship with Star Trek, now that that's been established, I'm curious in, for example, say the 80s, how does that influence the other work that you're doing as well? After the motion picture, um, you know, I went directly to uh, uh, the Cosmos miniseries. Mm-hmm. Okay, and from Cosmos, uh, when you know when we wrapped with that, yeah, I I was able to to uh, get some work on a few other productions, um, uh, <laughs> things like um, Halloween Two. I am a huge Halloween series okay. fan. Always have um, been. And uh, um, a movie called uh, Rich and Famous. Oh yeah, which had uh, Candace Bergen and Jacqueline Bissett. But I got to do some uh, um, I got to do some sketches of, uh, you know, some architectural things, uh, set set piece things. Uh, my dad was an architect, so I learned, you know, pretty early uh, how to, you know, how to wield a pencil. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a few, you know, a few other films in there. Um, one in particular was The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. where I got to work alongside Ron Cobb, who another amazing teacher and artist to learn from. Um, and I, you know, we, we were, we were situated at digital productions uh, in LA. The, the main movie was being filmed at MGM, uh, but digital productions was where all the CGI was happening. And Ron's designs for things like the Gunstar and the Kodan Armada, you know, um, all of those had to be translated into uh, polygons and texture mapping and uh, things like that. So I was I was sort of back in the saddle with space. Okay. And, uh, you know, I got to learn how to digitize. I, 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 I talked to the, uh, uh, the folks who were called technical directors. They were the ones who were mm-hmm. taking all of the polygon objects and making them move in 3D. Okay. Uh, and eventually these, these moving polygon files would get the color, the backgrounds, uh, the lighting, all of that. Um, all, um, you know, all with the help of the giant gray computer, um, you know, which is like this, you know, it, your iPhone has that sort of power. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, maybe not the, the power of the gray, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the gray was, was an astounding machine. Uh, and they had a whole, uh, uh, you know, big computer room that was, uh, uh, humidity controlled and temperature controlled, and there were, you know, cables running everywhere. Um, and I got to do um, I got to do uh, 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 mapping for things like Rylos, the planet, and the moon, and the green moon of um, uh, I forget the name. <laughs> Uh, the green moon, the alien moon in there. Um, you know, I got to do some of these maps that were uh, essentially like uh, uh, Mercator projections, big flat pieces of art. Uh, and those were wrapped into spheres in CGI. Um, and, and, you know, 
that was a, a you know, again, another wonderful learning step. Okay. Uh, seeing how the computer revolution was, was happening back in the eighties, you know, just, just understanding, okay, we have, we have, uh, you know, vertices, we have vectors, we have polygons, we have, uh, you know, uh, light and shadow and color. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great thing to, uh, to, to get involved in, which led after, uh, after uh, Starfighter wrapped up, I got to work over at Universal Studios in their computer graphic department. All right. So that, you know, it was a, a sort of a continuation of, of learning how these machines, uh, you know, could make realistic uh, or, or, you know, simpler graphical uh, sorts of animations um, and had a great time uh, at, at Universal. That makes me wonder, because you're there as this technology is technically developing, because, you know, it's only it's brand spanking new. You know, is 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 there anything that you ended up working with, particularly in the 80s, that you, you caught yourself going, I really could have used that on the motion picture? Or was it just just a new new field altogether? Never, never looked back. Well, I, you know, it was for, for me, it was it was a. Uh, continually improving sort of technology to play with. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I, um, I played with programmable calculators and, you know, to get, to get images out, uh, you know, um, simple plotter uh, devices that, that would hook to a computer. Um, you know, I started with things like um, uh, a Commodore 64. Okay. And uh, and then eventually worked up, you know, through better and better computers uh, at Universal. I got to play with an Apple II. I got to play with an IBM PC. Uh, their main computer was a big, uh, uh, you know, a big mainframe in, in one of the back rooms. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just seeing everything evolve. OK. And what did we have available what could we use this for? And so, uh, you know, at, at Universal, some of the, the, the little things that I helped with uh, were for Knight Rider and Airwolf. <laughs> oh, that is good. I'm just thinking yeah. at this stage, I'm just like, what What other big, you know, franchise have you, or actually easier, what have you not been involved in? You know, we've got like, these are just seriously fun parts, but staples of the genre as well. Yeah, I, and, and you know the, the places that I got to work, okay, um, were not the same as the places that eventually evolved to uh, you know to, to service the TV and film industry, okay, mm -hmm. like uh, you know Foundation Imaging. I had you know a lot of friends who worked at Foundation, um, you know, servicing shows like like uh, uh, Star Trek, mm -hmm. um, you know, Eden Effects. Um, uh, you know, various effects companies that uh, uh, are Rhythm and Hughes. OK, I knew uh, some of the people uh, that I worked with at Universal uh, ended up at Rhythm and Hughes. And a lot of these companies were, um, you know, were now available to, you know, provide lots of CGI wherever it was needed. OK, mm -hmm. and, and now you have now you have companies all over the world that are connected by electronic pipelines. So you could have a film that's based here in the States with effects being done in Thailand. You know, I, I think it's just amazing, you know, to, to, uh, to have seen all of this grow. Uh, and I, I give everybody, you know, like a big thumbs up. This is, this is just astounding. It's actually it's 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 so interesting when you were describing like rooms of mainframes and I mean and it in a way it feels like we're so far away from that but actually in the number of years we're not that far away. I always uh, think of the Terminator franchise. I know this is going to sound a bit random, but I always think of the Terminator franchise when it comes to this because those first and second movies don't work today. Because you can't just destroy a mainframe and you can't just, you know, kind of because then suddenly someone came along and invented. What if we made it software? And someone obviously said, you obviously haven't seen the first two Terminator films. But 
And then you have, like, for example, I mean, the the pandemic was a great example of seeing just how connected the world can be in a digital way. I mean, for a year, we were all talking over Zoom and we were all, you know, we were so distant. And then when work was continuing, um, as I know it was on various Star Trek iterations, it was all done remotely because we've now got to a stage where we can do it remotely. But I, I, I suppose, it, th- but there must be, uh, or my, my question here, I am making a statement. My question is, is there anything like sitting in the room with a group of other artists all kind of brainstorming together and, you know, working pencils down to the nubs? Well, I, you know, the 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 art department uh, that I worked in the most, you know, really was that that uh, uh, that big room over stage eight back at Paramount. You know, I was there for like 15 years. OK. And. You know, the camaraderie was terrific. The, uh, you know, the talent, uh, 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 whether it was, um, you know, set designers or, uh, um, you know, uh, us doing uh, traditional illustration and then computer illustration, Um, you know, and and just seeing all of the different, you know, outside of the art department, outside of that one big room, um, all of the other crafts at the studio, uh, the folks in the mill, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, sign shop. Okay. Where they, they printed all sorts of wonderful graphics for us. Um, uh, you know, makeup, costuming, you know, um, you, you get to see all of these crafts working together. Um, and, uh, you know, on, on shows like TNG, we were into a new episode every 10 working days. Okay. It's not like that today. Okay. Where you have like, you know, a six episode, you know, season. Okay. We were doing 26 episodes. Okay. So it was a bit nuts. But it was also wonderful. We got to interact with all of the other crafts. Uh, yeah, I got to help Michael Westmore out with a couple of sketches for makeup. Okay. And uh, um, it, it, it was just, you know, being able to, to, you know, help out when somebody needed, you know, a sketch or a, an idea for, uh, a prop or, you know, whatever. Um, it, it, it was this, this machine that kept, kept humming. That is, I mean, I, I, I know you are the author of several books, but I'm telling you, there's a book in just the little stories from people helping each other out to the things that, you know, that maybe don't get talked about as often. You know, or, you know, you know, people want to know about the bust up sunset. No, they don't. They want to know about all the times that you shared a coffee and, oh, I look after that for you, Michael. No problem. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the one of the fun things, one of the, one of the fun little uh, little things that happened uh, on the motion picture. OK, um, I brought in a pile of uh, uh, aerospace magazines just to, just to get ideas, you know, techie ideas. And uh, Mike Miner's flipping through one of them, and there's a, the front of a jet engine with all of the compressor blades, you know. And he said, you know, this might work for the ceiling of the bridge. And that's how we got the, the blades, you know, going around the bridge on the refit. I didn't you know, know that. Just, you know, yeah. And, and just, you know, getting these ideas cooking back and forth. And we took we took this to, to Harold Michelson and he thought it was terrific. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, I uh, one of the other things that that I I love uh, uh, talking about is the fact that, uh, you know, NASA helped us on the motion picture a lot. Um, we were able to go out to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and see the Voyager engineering mock-up and talk to some of the scientists there. Okay. Well, I mean, Voyager was a key character in the film, right? Yeah. Um, 
So I was I was able to talk uh, to the uh, uh, public affairs folks. We got blueprints of Voyager and we were able to uh, uh, to, you know, modify those uh, to build the the, the big uh, prop for the set. Um, so that was that, that you know, that was a, another wonderful connection between NASA and Star Trek. OK, because uh, look, look at, you know, look at the original series. OK. Um, uh, Roddenberry and, uh, and company, you know, they went out to places like Edwards Air Force Base and, uh, uh, you know, other, other, uh, like NASA and, and Air Force type facilities, uh, to get inspiration. It, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I think, I hope people are becoming more and more aware of with obviously the information that's now available to us on the internet is just how tied, you know, real life space engineering and Star Trek engineering are. I mean, I know we we often make the reference, oh, you know, Star Trek basically invented all these things before they'd actually been invented, like the mobile phone and, you know, the iPad and all of that. But, you know, the the, the Voyager module there, that is a fantastic example of a crossover. Um, and actually, I wanted to ask your opinion as well on the recent 4K remaster of the motion picture uh we did a review for it on the channel and i'd stand by what i said it is the most beautiful of the star trek films uh, and i love the star trek films love them all always will but my god that film every frame is a painting well you know i haven't seen it in a while but uh you know there was there was loving care put into uh you know cleaning up uh, uh images um you know the uh, you know the the fans may not agree with every single visual decision okay uh but it was uh it, you know it was good to see that sort of effort put into um you know bringing that film you know back I, I think so because I do remember um the 2001 the director's edition coming out I remember you know, getting the DVD and I was delighted. And then I I think it was the 2009 Blu-ray release wasn't the director's edition. It was the theatrical version. And I remember going, well, then you only had the DVD. So this was like, this is the version. This is the version, folks. This is the one. Watch this one. That's the one that's meant to be seen. And I just, it just, it cleans up. You And you can tell the passion that went to cleaning it up because it's not just a, with the greatest of respect to say like AI upscaling, it's not just a, right, I hit the upscale button and here's your film. It's, it's nearly like it's been made again. So you obviously, you know, so you're, am I right to you, yourself and Andy Probert are like nearly the first two artists hired on Star Trek, the next generation, or you're certainly in from day one. Well, you know, Andy was, uh, Andy was brought in first. Um, I, I had a meeting with, uh, you know, people like, uh, uh, Bob Justman, uh, Dorothy Fontana was there. Dave Gerald was there. Um, you know, uh, left my, uh, uh, you know, portfolio and, and, and such with, uh, with Bob Justman. Um, and yeah, I was, I was eventually brought in. Um, and this was, you know, this is very early time. Um, mm-hmm. early, I think very early, uh, 88 that, uh, that, you know, I was brought on board officially. Uh, and Andy and I, yeah, we were the first two uh, uh, illustrators to to start, you know, uh, you know, going through, um, uh, you know, some of the early uh, uh, like uh, script synopses and descriptions of characters and and uh, sets and things. Um, and uh, uh, we didn't even have the uh, the official art department back yet. Uh, we were working out of another office, um, getting uh, getting that uh, the model of the uh, the bridge together. Mm. Okay, based on Andy's sketches, and you know he really he really uh, um, you know took the reins on that. Um, and I you know I helped out with uh, you know cutting foam core and gluing things together, and uh, uh, you know we made presentations um, uh, to the uh, producers. Um, and then you know we we were finally able to to take over that room over stage eight once more, uh, and uh, 
you know, the, the, the art department was available, so we moved in. The two of us, you know, this was before Herman Zimmerman came in as production designer, okay? Um, and then everybody came in, set designer. Michael Kuda was brought in to, to start on the graphics and things. So we had the art department humming once more. Was there much of a change between, say, the TNG DS9 and Voyager experiences? Because there's a lot of the same players, really, throughout the throughout those three shows. Um, what was that like? You know, you'd reinvented the wheel for Next Generation, and then you have Deep Space Nine and you have Voyager as well. Well, what happened, what happened with uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, okay, um, uh, Herman Zimmerman left after the first season of Next Gen. Richard James came in as our production designer. I think Herman did a couple of films and, uh, and then was brought back to do Deep Space Nine in a separate um, art department uh, over by the, uh, uh, the mill, okay, upstairs over uh, one of the big buildings. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Herman brought in, you know, a whole separate uh, art crew of, you know, really talented folks. I mean, you know, uh, Mike was, uh, Mike and I were kind of doing like double duty back and forth between Next Gen and DS9. Ricardo Delgado came in, terrific illustrator. And after him, uh, Jim Martin, uh, and then eventually John Eaves. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you you have some stellar people who have gone through um, you know the uh, uh, the the Deep Space Nine art department, um, and they had uh, you know a, a whole crew of uh, of uh, set designers, and you know I was bouncing back and forth, and I eventually um, um, you know ended up leaving Deep Space Nine after like uh, third season. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, I helped at the very beginning, um, you know, uh, pulled a lot of the uh, um, separate ideas together for the space station itself. OK, and we went through we went through some crazy times uh, coming up with sketches and rough models of the station just based on what the producers and writers were were thinking. Um you know, starting with the, the crazy thing that looked like an oil platform. Okay, I think I've seen uh, sketches of. Yeah, those. I mean, yeah. There, there was a there was a slight description of, of something that looked like an oil refinery uh, or an you know oil drilling platform, um, but in space. Mm. Okay, and we eventually came around to the circular feature. Uh, Rick Berman, you know, had had um, uh, you know some some. Uh, some nice comments about, okay, you know, you want this to be something that any kid could draw in a few strokes. So if, if, you know, if you make it a circle with a couple of spokes and then add all of the other little fiddly bits to it. Okay. Uh, uh, yes. You could come up with a space station that looked very unlike Starfleet. Okay. And, and Herman, you know, Herman said, look, we have to think like Cardassians, you know, stylistically, you know, so it, uh, you know, Cardassian style, um, you, you know, really involved a lot of plating, a lot of curves, um, uh, you know, uh, breakups of, of shapes that, uh, you know, a, a Starfleet ship would not have. Hmm. Okay, and uh, and you know we bounced ideas back and forth. Uh, I did a few uh, uh, versions of the space station blueprints, and the producers finally gave it a green light, and the thing got built. That's how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. It's like you know, it's much like the, the the station being built section by section, plating by plating. It's like okay, how's this idea? Okay, and the how's this idea? And 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 I, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's a elegantly simple design, and yes, it's so immediately recognizable. It's mm -hmm. one of those ones as well. It's, it is as recognizable as any of the enterprises, um, you know. Like, and these are pure, pure story. And then you go and do it again with the Voyager. Get something that's so immediately recognizable, and we all like we know straight away when we're looking at you know. The design of Voyager, we're like, oh yeah, um, both versions. 
the, the, the version we eventually get on screen and the filming model of which I have a model somewhere in the house. Well, not the filming model, but the, that, that initial, initial model. So. Yeah. The uh, Voyager was a five month uh, process. Mm. Okay. And sometimes things, you know, get stretched out a bit. Um, uh, you know, I, I came up with the, uh, the prototype uh, as a three foot uh, foam core model. Mm. With a lot of uh, body putty and sanding and painting and, and uh, you know, got it into a shape where the producers could could all walk around it and look at it and make comments. And, and um, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, the, the prototype got turned into a little die cast model. So I'm very happy about that. Okay. We are we're delighted. I, again, as I say, I, I have one out there. And when they announced they were going to do that. You, there was just this the section of the fandom that I've all yeah, we've been looking at the Star Trek fact files with the pictures and we were looking at like we're like you're like they're doing that one that's brilliant I can't believe and then yes delighted oh, well I, the, the prototype to me was a valid design otherwise I wouldn't have done it <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the uh, it, the prototype at least gave the producers something to look at and discuss. And, uh, you know, I, I tell the story that uh, Jerry Taylor, uh, one of our wonderful producers, she took me aside and said, could you make it a little curvier, kind of like a Lexus? <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, I appreciated that. I understood where, where she was going, you know. And yes, you, the, the, you know, Voyager, if you look at a, a piece of the Voyager hull, yes, it could have been taken from the Enterprise D. All right. The stylistic threads were still there. Hmm. Okay. Uh, later with, with ships like uh, Equinox and Prometheus, I got into a few little departures. Okay. But still recognizable as Starfleet, you know, hmm. and that, that's, that was always my intent. Okay. Yeah. You see a Starfleet ship. Yeah, it may not look exactly like something you've seen before, but you can tell what family it's in, you know. Uh, and and Voyager, um, you, you know, once they approved the basic outline of the ship, okay, then I could I could go nuts with detailing. Hmm. And with with most every starship that I've ever drawn, okay. I want to make sure that the parts are smart, they have functions, they're plausible, and they look cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, to, to, to be fair, I mean, it is like, if we're thinking from purely, a, I want this ship to stand out, it's got to be something where you go, oh, that's pretty cool. And <laughs> that's, that's the reaction Voyager tends to get from people. It's definitely one of one of the most popular I think of all of the hero ships because it just is cool and it lands. Sorry. I love the fact that it lands. Um, that, that took a bit of work. Yeah. <laughs> in recent, very, very, very recent times. In fact, there's, there's, there's a, a few, obviously, you know, basic tributes to your amazing work. One is that in lower decks, we've had both deep space nine and Voyager have recently been rendered in this lovely animation and the detail is incredible, but how does it feel knowing that the USS Sternbach is flying around in Star Trek Picard? That was, that was a a real hoot. I loved that. Uh, And the fact that, that it was partnered with the USS Cole, Lee Cole back on the motion picture. Okay. She really established the graphic style of every control panel and every sign that we produced for that film. Okay. Um, I, I seem to recall her telling me that, that she had done similar work for, um, uh, you know, the aerospace industry. Okay. So she knew about things like, uh, you know, military and technical graphics. Right. Um, and that showed in the motion picture. OK, mm-hmm. so when Lee set that style, OK, I, I follow. OK, we did everything according to that that style, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, a weapons uh, control panel, 
or, uh, you know, the science console, things like that. Um, you know, I followed her, her lead. And the fact that, that the two of us got ships, super amazing. I loved it. Uh, it feels right. It, it just it feels right that you would have your own ships. I mean, you were responsible in no small way for the design of so many of them because, you know, these things don't exist in isolation. Things lead on from one another. Um, plus, I love as well the particularly the Dauntless um, because we, we mean it's like you said, even though it's an alien ship, it was designed to look like a Starfleet ship and it does. You know, it really does so much so that it's turned up again in Star Trek Prodigy or a variation of. One might say you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and again, you know, this comes from so many years of, of you know, talking with people who uh, are doing, you know, real space hardware, um, you know, looking through telescopes, uh, uh you know, designing things and, and, you know, it's, it's all one big, um, you know, one big, big pot of stuff that you can reach into uh, and learn something. We're, we're just coming up toward the end now. So I want to first of all say thank you very much for your time. You've been very, very generous. So thank you very much, Rick. Um, and what I want, I want to ask you as well, like, this is going to be such an easy question. Is there something from your career, Star Trek or no, that you really are proudest of? Well, that's a hard one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's such a cruel question. It's like, by the way, ask, uh, choose between all of your children. Um, no, I'm not going to choose, but I will, I will uh, you know, take one from column A and one from column B. Uh, um, uh, Star Trek is obviously, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things I'm very proud of, and Cosmos is uh, another, okay? And the two, for me, live side by side. Um, you know, they're different, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they are different in their intent, uh, different in their, their teaching uh, or visual enjoyment, um, you know, but uh, I, I, I love both of them. That is, I... I love that. Um, and again, I just want to, from everyone at Trek Culture, I just want to say thank you so much for your contributions to Star Trek, which are, I mean, they're just incredible, for taking the time today to sit down with me. And um, you're a bit of a legend, Rick. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It was, uh, it was it was great talking to you after after seeing all of your uh, YouTube vids. <laughs> oh God, I, I I I hope anywhere we've discussed any of the designs have always been positive. We try to be positive. We we always look for the best. I promise. I promise. <laughs> you know, it's it's like they say. You know, uh, the, the you know, say what you want, but spell my name right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, as I say, on behalf of all of us, thank you very much. To everyone listening along, thank you very much. Have a wonderful week. Live long and prosper and look after yourselves. Thanks. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.